Well, what a privilege. What a privilege it's been for me for what is now 15 weeks of teaching and preaching through the book of Hosea. 14 chapters in the book of Hosea, that 8th century prophet B.C., who has a hard word for the people of God. And I trust that you have benefited from, from hearing this. I remember someone telling me when we began the series in Hosea that they had never heard Hosea preached before. And I trust if it's the first time you've heard the whole of Hosea, that it's been a blessing to you. It's, it's been a blessing to me. I feel like I have learned much and the words that Hosea has spoken have been fresh and new to my own experience. And I hope that that's true for you. So what a privilege, what a book, and what a mess. What a mess the people have, of God have always been. That has been the resounding message of Hosea. The messiness of God's people. And then, lastly, what mercy. What covenant mercy. What a Savior we are seeing the Lord Jesus is for His church. Now, He's not named in Hosea, but He's anticipated in Hosea. And the need for Jesus could not be clearer. That the Lord will show a mercy that is found in the person and in the work of Jesus. And so this morning, we finish the book. We'll finish chapter 14, all nine verses. And this is Hosea's, we could call it, one last call for repentance. His message throughout has been repent, repent, repent. And here he is with one last call to repent. So give your attention. Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive all our sin and receive us graciously that we may offer the of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper, an evergreen. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? 
Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Thus concludes the prophecy of Hosea the prophet. Let's pray for God's blessing of His Word. Lord, one last time from Hosea, would You open our eyes to what is true? Would You soften our stubborn hearts? And would You unstop our ears that we would see what is true and not be self-deceived? For we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. On April the 26th, 2005, Jennifer Wilbanks left her home in Duluth, Georgia to go out for a run, to go out for a jog. She was engaged to be married. She was only three days from her wedding day. And she, like many young brides, thought it would be good to slip out go burn some stress, go for a run, escape from all the stress, tension, and anxiety that weddings are known for. So she told her fiancé she would be gone for a quick jog. But she did not return. After two hours, her fiancé, John Mason, in a panic, called the authorities and reported his fiancé as missing. Hours turned to days, and there was no sign, no evidence of Jennifer Wilbanks anywhere, and people began to panic. The news was heard locally and then was picked up nationally, and some of you may remember this story. For several days, 250 people volunteered to look for Jennifer Wilbanks, to look for evidence of her on her jogging pattern, her routine, her path where she was. And there was no evidence of Jennifer Wilbanks being anywhere to be found. And then, as it turns, suspicion suspicion began to turn towards the fiancé. Had John Mason killed his own fiancé, He was named as a suspect. And everyone began to see and think that that must be what had happened. But as news of his being a suspect became nationally known, suddenly there was a break in the case. John Mason got a phone call from his fiancée. She was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she reported to him that she had been abducted and assaulted by two or three people. John was so relieved, but of course he contacted the authorities with this news. The FBI got involved. She came home. She was reunited with her fiancé. And as the FBI began to investigate her and her story, what they learned was that none of it was true. She had gone for a run, 
and was panicked about her wedding. And she had come to one conclusion. I do not want to marry that man. And so I will fake my death. I will fake my disappearance. I will be a runaway bride. And that's exactly what she was. She would, her whole story would unravel. She would be convicted of crimes. She would have to pay financial penalties. No, they would not marry. They eventually each would marry someone else. But for a moment this morning, for the purpose of the sermon, could you feel with me the pain of John Mason? All he did was love a woman, pledge himself to be engaged to her, to marry her, thinking he offered her a great life. And all she wanted to do was to run away. How bad does that hurt if you're John Mason? That someone would fake their death and run away in the other direction. How bad does it hurt when that story now is known nationally? How bad does it hurt when you're named a suspect of her possible murder? And somehow you've become the bad guy. There's so many emotions in that story. And and some of you may remember it from 2005. I remember it because I was preaching through the book of Hosea which, as you know, is a story of a runaway bride who wanted nothing to do with her faithful husband. And so I keep the story and I revisit the story from time to time because it really does capture, and and I hope it does for you, the sense of hurt and shock and awe that a faithful, sincere husband would have that someone disliked them so much they would run in the opposite direction. But that is the message of Hosea. And as Hosea concludes his prophecy and his message in chapter 14, his message is to that runaway bride, to the people of God. And his message is, runaway bride, return to me. Return to me and I will receive you. I will heal the broken relationship. I will bless you. And that is an amazing grace. It is a call to return, which we're going to see is the message throughout the Bible of repentance. But it is the promise of receiving the wayward, receiving the lost, receiving the one who has caused hurt and harm to the relationship. And because of covenant mercy, embracing them once and for all. That's the biblical story of the gospel. That's the promise of how God treats His people in Christ. And it's the good news that Hosea ends his prophecy with. So three simple points this morning. And they really, again, are a repeat. Hosea has repeated himself over and over and over again. And he will do it one last time this morning. So the first point is this. It's Hosea's message. It's a summary of everything that he has said. And that is, in verses 1 to 3, You must return to the Lord your God. This is where he says, quite literally, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Then he says, Take words with you. 
and return to the Lord. Now, what does that mean to take words? Um, The best way I can illustrate it, and parents, maybe this will help you explain to your children. I can remember, I have a faint memory as a young boy of doing something, of saying something or doing something that hurt my mother's feelings. And I remember my dad, who was a very calm and patient man, taking me aside and speaking to me like this. Now, son, let me tell you something. You need to go to your mother and you need to say that you're sorry because you have hurt her feelings. And he just, he outlined for me, this is how you approach someone that you have hurt, you have wounded, right? And it it wasn't this incredibly terrible thing. I'm getting looks right now like, what did you do to your mother? I'm I'm sure I back-talked her. I I showed a lack of appreciation, and it it hurt her feelings. But my dad said, okay, we're going to fix this. I know the woman that you call mother. I know how she works. And what you need to do is you go to her and you speak the right words. That's what Hosea is saying to the people of God. Take words with you, return to the Lord, and go through the liturgy of confession of sin. And he says, if you do that, you will in turn receive assurance of pardon. That's the whole rhythm of our worship service. I feel like we say this all the time, but this is what Hosea is outlining. He's saying, take words with you, not empty words. These people had a pattern of using empty words and empty sacrifice with the Lord God. He's not saying just take any words. He's saying take sincere words. Sincerely confess your sins. Sincerely come to the Lord. And you will find that He will receive you. I've said it before. I'll say it again. What are those three hardest things for us to say in the English language? I was wrong. I'm sorry. I love you. Those are hard things for us to speak. And what's the fourth hardest thing to say? Worcestershire sauce. That's right. Um, Someone, when I used that illustration a few weeks ago, actually it was Jay Moore. I'll quote Jay Moore this morning. Jay came up to me and said, you reminded me of watching Happy Days. For those of you who are my age or so, and you remember the Fonz could never say, I was wrong. He couldn't say he was wrong. There's something about us that just doesn't want to confess or admit that we're wrong. That's what Hosea says begins the Christian life. It's admitting, confessing your sin, your shortcoming, your wrongdoing. And that's what the Scriptures tell us we have to do. You know, we do it in in our worship service every week. But it's possible that you're going through the motions and not really doing it, right? Joel chapter 2 verse 13, another prophet says this. Rend your heart and not your garments. To rend is to tear, is to rip. He says, render your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. So why would Joel say, render your heart and not your garments? Well, in that Middle Eastern culture, you know it was a very dramatic culture. It was a very expressive culture. And the people would rip their clothes as a sign of repentance. They would use dust and ashes. But the prophet is saying, 
bring sincere words. Don't just go through the motions. You have to mean it. You have to sincerely confess your sins and admit your shortcomings to a holy God. And it doesn't stop with words. It has to have actions. There has to be a change of heart. There has to be a change of life. So Hosea's message is you must return to the Lord your God. You return with words from your mouth and you return with proof from the heart. That is with a changed life. You've heard the expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can give the words of repentance. You can give the liturgy of repentance, as we do in worship every week. But that doesn't mean that you'll repent. It's up to you. Will you confess your sins? Will you repent in the way that Hosea is calling the people of God to? We repent with words from our mouth, but they have to be sincere, not empty. We repent with proof from the heart. That is a changed life. And it has to be sincere. It cannot be empty. It cannot be just going through the motions. Repentance is the Christian life. Martin Luther, who you know as having written and nailed the 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg, do you know what thesis number one was? Have you ever memorized thesis number one? Out of the 95, what was the very first thing that Luther put on the door? Do you know what it was? Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed that the entire Christian life be one of repentance. It's pretty strong, isn't it? Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed that the entire Christian life be one of repentance. But in our culture, we tend to think of repentance as something we did a long time ago, right? Oh yeah, I remember this. I remember when I repented when I was 12. Repentance is the Christian life. It's to be constant. It's the means through which we approach God. It's what God is doing in us by His Holy Spirit. But repentance is something that too often is too foreign to every one of us. Archbishop Lancelot Andrews says this about his need for repentance. Listen to this. There's a lot of feeling here, but listen to the desire for sincere repentance. He says, I need more grief, O God. I plainly need it. I can sin much, but I cannot correspondingly repent. Oh Lord, give me a molten heart. Give me tears. Give me a fountain of tears. Give me the grace of tears. Drop down from the heavens and bedew the dryness of my heart. If I may not water my couch with my tears, nor wash thy feet with my tears, oh, grant me at least one or two little tears. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm so good at sinning. I can give myself fully to sinning. But the repentance part is so hard. I'm parched spiritually. Lord, would you work in me the desire to change, the desire for renewal? Would you make me grieve over my sin? Would you make me to grieve much? 
but if you won't make me grieve much, would, would you at least help me to grieve a little bit? That I would hate my sin. Picture Hosea saying that same message to these people. That's literally the appeal of Hosea. You people need to know that you're sinners. You need to grieve over your sin. You need to return to the Lord. And if you turn to Him, He will receive you. He will heal you. He will embrace you like the father in the story of the prodigal son that played a part in our liturgy this morning. We're to return to the Lord with words from our mouth, but they can't be empty. We return to the Lord with proof from the heart, but it has to be sincere. It can't be empty. That Old Testament sacrificial system, think back to our sermon series in Hebrews, with the constant blood flow, the role of the priest with the priestly knife and the shedding of blood, that all taught us and reminded us how serious God is about our sin. And we're to grieve our sin even as God grieves it, but with a sincere repentance that is more than words. Remember that full orb definition of repentance. It's been described this way, which is helpful. It's a turning from our sin, but it's a turning to God. We turn from our sin, we turn to God, and it's a change of our mind. We don't think about our sin like we used to. It's a change of our heart. We don't love our sin like we used to. And it's a turning from that sin to God with a change of will, a change of behavior. It's like seeing ourselves for who we really are as God sees us and saying, we don't want to be that rebellious person anymore. Lord, would you receive us? That's supposed to be the norm in the Christian experience. It's not a one-time event. It's not something just in your past. It's who we are. It's the rhythm of our lives. It's how the gospel stays fresh in your everyday life and in the life of your family. Rob Rayburn, in his sermon on this passage, has a lengthy quote. But remember, I've told you, if I give you a lengthy quote, it's because it's a good one. So listen to what he says about repentance and the Christian life. He says, True repentance is not just found at the beginning of a Christian's life, but it is the continuation of it as well. There may be a grand act of repentance at the beginning, when first the person becomes a Christian. But repentance will continue to be the principle of that Christian's life so long as he is in this world. Repentance is the disposition of a true Christian soul. There will always be sorrow for sin so long as there is sin in a Christian's life. There will always be shame for sin so long as he fails his Savior. There will always be a determination to rid his heart and mind and behavior of anything which does not please his God. And there will always be a turning away from his sins to God to confess them, to ask that they might be forgiven in Christ Jesus, and to plead for strength to put them to death for once and for all. That's the Christian's proper relationship to his sin. 
He wants it put to death. He wants to turn from it. And every time that sin and its nature rears its ugly head in our lives, we turn and return to the Lord our God. That's what Hosea is saying to the people. Repent. Return to God. Enough is enough. And the truth is, if you're not repenting, if I'm not repenting, then we're remaining. We're remaining where we are. And the message of the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, is to not remain as you are, but to repent, to turn, to turn away from and to turn to the goodness of our God. Now listen, when I say repentance, I know that a lot of people, they hear it negatively. So many things in our day and our our age we hear negatively. It's as if repentance is gloomy. But here's what I want you to leave the service with this morning. It's not the gloom of repentance. It's the joy of repentance. That you're not left in your sins. That you're not left in the guilt of your sins. But there is newness of life. There is goodness in turning to God the Father. There is joy in repentance, not grief in repentance. And the joy is found in knowing that despite all your waywardness, all your sinfulness, the Lord is tender and merciful and He will heal us. And that's Hosea's second point. It's Hosea's hope. He says, if you turn to Him, He will heal. He is the divine healer. He will heal the broken covenant relationship. Remember, Hosea's message has been that The people's relationship with God is like a marriage. It's like a bad marriage. And here Hosea ends in chapter 14 with the hope that the Lord will heal that broken covenant relationship. And then he says, what is better, what is more? He says, the Lord will revive you parched people. You sin-parched people. He will renew you. He will water you as the dew itself. And he says he will make you to have deep roots and to bear much fruit. To flower, he says. And he uses this agricultural imagery that some of you understand uh, very well. But it's a picture of flourishing. It's a picture of covenant flourishing in relationship with God. And it's beautiful. Now, in the NIV that I read, the Lord, speaking through the prophet, likens himself to a juniper tree. And depending on the version that you're reading, other versions will say an evergreen tree. But whatever the case, you know what to picture. It's the picture of Christmas. It's the smell of Christmas. Why do we like Christmas trees in our home, kids? Well, if you like the smell of the juniper, of the evergreen. It brings life. It's the smell of hope. It's fresh. It's new. And the Lord says, He is the evergreen to His people. The language of evergreen, the language of juniper, was a picture of flourishing. It was good news. Now, in trying to get my arms around this, I uh, consulted a scholar uh, known as... Alexa, and I said, hey, Alexa, tell me about the juniper tree. And I I asked her several times, and she gave me several different answers. All of them were consistent, 
But this is the sum of what Alexa said. And even now, some of you on YouTube have Alexa answering the question in the background if you uh, listen to this out loud. The juniper is a coniferous evergreen that has a proven history of being useful for food, medicine, and construction. And I thought, well, isn't that a description of the Lord God Himself from the perspective of Israel? He had proven Himself. He had been the great provider of food. Manna, bread from heaven. He had been the healer of His sin-sick people. And construction, building, that's His specialty. He had built a people for Himself. And so the Lord likens Himself to this Coniferous tree, this evergreen tree that is a blessing. It is useful. It is a useful blessing to the people. And the Lord says, that's who I am. On that subject, our own George Schwab says in his commentary, as our evergreen, the Lord is the perpetual source of every blessing and provision to His people. Amen. That's exactly right. The Lord is our evergreen. Parents, as you put those trees up, as you put those wreaths up, teach your kid about the evergreen. Teach your children about the blessing of the evergreen for food, medicine, construction, and everything else. The Lord is our provider. Now lastly, this is the grand conclusion. Hosea's conclusion is in verse 9. Verse 9 really stands alone. Verse 9 is a summary of everything that he said in all the verses of all the chapters before it. This is where he speaks to his people as an author of sorts. And he says this, Now who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who of you is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And that's his final word. That's his closing word. If I were writing this in my own language, I would say, okay, now who gets it? Having preached through Hosea, who gets it? Who understands what all this was about? That's what Hosea is saying. Who gets it? Who sees themselves in the story as Gomer, the unfaithful wife? Who reads themselves in the story as Hosea, the faithful husband? You know, I've actually had somebody conclude that with me conversationally. They identified with Hosea, not with Gomer, misunderstood the book completely. But as you read the story, as you've heard the prophecies, as you've heard the call to repent, do you identify with Gomer? Do you identify with Israel that we are a sin, wayward people? Our only hope is God's covenant mercy. And that's what He gives us. He fully and freely gives us every drop of covenant mercy that is needed if we will turn to Him. If we will turn to Him in faith, the Lord is the source of all the mercy that is needed, and it's all found in the person and the work of Jesus. So how do you see yourself in the story? How do you perceive yourself? 
That, that very question reminded me of a piece of art I think I've shared with you before. And I think I have a picture of it. I do. That is, that is the prodigal son. It's an uh, engraving of the prodigal son by Albrecht Durer, I believe it is pronounced. And here's why I connect Luke 15 and Hosea 14 and the question of, okay, who gets it? Who's understanding what the author is saying? So what's interesting about this piece of art is that Albrecht Durer put his own face on the prodigal son. And you can't see that very well. You can go look at it online. Uh, Albrecht Durer was a contemporary and a friend to Martin Luther. And this etching, you think of what he did here. He identified with the rebellious son. And he put his own face in the story. Because he said, I'm that guy. I'm the prodigal. I'm the rebellious wayward son who looks to the Father to find faith, to find grace and mercy from all of my failures, all of my wrongdoing. And so whose face do you paint on Gomer in Hosea? Is it your own? Do you identify with Israel? And that's clearly, clearly the message that Hosea has for us. Because only in looking to the Lord will you find the covenant mercy that sinners need. So as we close with Hosea's prophecy, what a book, what a blessing, what a messy people, but what a Savior is anticipated and what a Savior is provided. And Christmas couldn't be timed with our series any better. Hosea points and cries out for the need for a Savior, for covenant mercy. And that's exactly what we'll begin hearing messages about and celebrating next week. But let's give thanks to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray that we rightly understand and apply Hosea in our everyday life. And then let's sing of God's covenant mercy. Lord, we give you thanks that though our sins are great, your mercy is more. Lord, we pray that your mercy would be the theme of our songs, the joy of our hearts, the boast of our tongues, because it's in your free grace alone that we have been bound fast to the Lord Jesus to find the forgiveness of all of our ruin, all of our sin, all of our rebellion. And so, Lord, may this message live in every one of us. And we ask it and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.